Our scripture today comes from the 10th chapter of Luke. You can find it on page 844 in the Pew Bible. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Marlene. Well, good morning, church. My name is Pastor Mark Montgomery, and at least for a couple weeks, I'm still one of the pastors here at Ebenezer. I want to welcome you. I want to add the welcome that Pastor Rob gave. I want to welcome those of you joining us online. Fred Rogers on his show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, famously asked the question, Won't you be my neighbor? Oh, you guys have watched this good show. You know, it was a simple question that he used to make children who watched his show feel welcomed and included. I don't know if you knew this or not, but as a child, Fred Rogers was overweight. He was shy. He was introverted. And he described his childhood as a time when he felt isolated and alone. So it's while he's in college that he made the decision. He was going to use his gift of music, his interest in childhood development, and the technology of television in the 1950s to be a force for good in the homes of children that he could reach so that they would no longer feel isolated and alone like he did as a child. 
You know, he's a guy that came up with songs to help children and really their parents too understand how to deal with their feelings and emotions. He was a champion for public television because he could not stand the fact that children were being advertised to about cigarettes. He was the type of guy to break racial barriers in a time when the racial divide in America was huge. He was a humble and well-respected man. And he did all the good that he could do in the best way that he knew he could do it. Simply by leaving a legacy of being a good neighbor. You know, that's the second rule that John Wesley gave us in his three simple rules. Do all the good you can. While most of us won't start a national television show, right? Most of us won't do that. We can do all the good we can do by being a good neighbor in the name of Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus said that the second greatest thing you can do in this world, second to loving God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind, is to love your neighbor as yourself. So it's Luke chapter 10, verse 29. The lawyer asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds with this incredible story. It's the story of a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. They're all walking down this road, and they encounter this badly beaten Jewish man who's dying. Jesus says that, first came the priest and he sees the man lying on the side of the road but the priest is on his way to temple he's in a hurry so he walks to the other side of the road so he can get on his way and he refuses to help this dying man well then comes the levite who is most likely the assistant to the priest and he's coming down this road and he too is on his way to temple and he sees this man dying on the side of the road And he gets on the other side so he can pass by this man because he's in a hurry. He's got to get where he's going. Now, I want to pause here for a second because to bring this to our modern context, do you know what Jesus is saying? He's saying that the pastor and the associate pastor are on their way to church. They see this man lying, dying on the side of the road, but they're in a hurry, so they got to get going. That hurts pretty bad, doesn't it, Rob? Yeah. And then comes a Samaritan. Now, the Samaritan's not headed to temple. The Samaritan doesn't go to temple. In fact, the Samaritans and Jews don't get along. They hate each other. But the Samaritan sees this man dying, naked, lying on the side of the road. And what does he do? He gets off his donkey. And he's moved by pity. And Jesus says, he comes near the man. He gives him first aid. He picks him up, he puts him on his only donkey, and he walks with him all the way to the next village, and he pays all of his medical bills. He pays all of his expenses. He tells the innkeeper, hey, the next day, hey, I got to go, but I want you to feed this man. I want you to give him whatever he needs, and when I come back, I'll pay all of his bills. And the Samaritan made sure that he was okay and saw it through to the end until the man had made a full recovery. Then Jesus asks the lawyer, and out of the three, who do you think was the neighbor? And the lawyer, which I can only imagine, had to sheepishly respond, the one who had mercy on him. You know, doing all the good we can isn't doing all the good in the world. We can't do that. We can't do it on our own. We don't have the time. We don't have the the capacity. But... We can do all the good that we can do in the best way that we know how 
exactly where we are. We can do it by being a neighbor like the Good Samaritan. You know what he did? He saw a need and he became personally involved until the end. It was a relentless pursuit of doing good. As I conclude my time here at Ebenezer, I think about all of the great people that I've learned from in ministry here. All of you who I've had the good fortune and honor of of walking through as I've seen you do all the good that you can do in the best way that you know how to do it. For the people here at Ebenezer who have seen a need and become personally involved until the end who have relentlessly pursued doing good in the name and to the glory of Jesus Christ. But you know, I want to share some of those stories today, but I can't name all the names. I can't tell all the stories because there are too many of you who do a whole lot of good. So that's your fault. (laughs) But thank you for what you do. And and I want to just take a personal privilege to share some of those stories with you today. I was in my second year at Ebenezer. Joni Johnson led a, a group of women into my office. I'm not going to lie, church, I was scared. And she said, Pastor, we've been praying. And we feel that God has called us to bring a women's conference to this church. Well, my fears immediately went away because here's the thing I know about Ebenezer. We have hundreds of women involved in our exercise group during the week. We have... Uh, over 10 women's groups that meet at different times throughout the week as well. We have so many different opportunities for women here at Ebenezer that meet at different times in different places. And I had been praying that God would send me a leader to unite the women of this church. And then God showed off and filled my office with a room full of leaders, right? Well, they built a team. They worked alongside of our staff and with the pastors and That fall, we had over 400 women attend our women's conference. And then they did it again the next year, and we filled the sanctuary. All because Joni saw a need and became personally involved until the end. It was a relentless pursuit of doing good. Right around that same time, it was winter, when a very pregnant Laura Green walks into my office. You know what she said? She said, Pastor Mark, I've been praying. Well, church, I got scared again. And she said, here's the thing, I've looked around, and you know what I see? I see all these young moms who are struggling, and they just need connection and direction. And so I've done some research, and I believe that uh, there's a, a program, an international program called Mothers of Preschoolers, or MOPs. And I've been praying about this, and I feel that God has called me to tell you that we need a MOPs here at Ebenezer. Well, again, I, I said, Laura, I, that's exciting news. You know, I've, I've done my research as well, and I, I can identify that same problem. In fact, my wife and I have been praying over this, and we have prayed that uh, God would send a leader for mops. But the problem is I can't lead it. I'm not a mother. And she looked at me as serious as could be, and she said, Oh, oh no, no, I'm going to lead it. And I looked at her and I said, Laura, aren't you about to have a baby? And she said, yeah, so we better get started. (laughs) I think it was that summer. It only took a month for our MOPS program to max out in registration of 60 moms in less than a month. In fact, Chrissy uh, 
Chrissy Sharon, you should go give her a hug and say sorry for me. Uh, if you see her, our director of kids care ministry, you know, her first week of work happened to be our first day of mops that we've never had. We didn't know what to anticipate or what to do. Ninety children showed up that day. God bless her. She still works here. God sent us Chrissy, but I want to tell you, Laura saw a need. She became personally involved until the end. It was a relentless pursuit of doing good. Pastor Rob told part of this story last week. Virginia Richardson, about three months into my time here at Ebenezer, invited me into a meeting. And so I walk into this room and, you know, I was sitting at the table, Bill Matheny. And this man has beaten cancer at this moment more times than I could count. We're sitting around the table and he said, we said, well, Bill, what are we doing here? He said, well, listen, I have seen the effect that cancer has not only on the body, but on our spiritual state, on our emotional state. On our families. It's a heavy impact. I think we should do something about it. And so I feel that God has called me to lead a cancer support group here at Ebenezer. And we said, Bill, that's great news. But we've looked around. We've done research. There are not a lot of great programs for a support group led at a church. What what program are you thinking about using? He said, oh, no, I just came up with my own. Here you go. Sure enough, four years later, I have seen men with cancer, women with cancer, and parents whose children have had cancer all respond by saying that they have experienced a profound spiritual growth and connection through our cancer support group. Why? Because Bill saw a need. He became personally involved until the end. It was a relentless pursuit of doing good. I'll never forget, it was after a a worship service and a man came up to me. He had tears in his eyes. We had just announced at the worship that we were looking for confirmation mentors to walk alongside our confirmants. And again, he had tears in his eyes and he said, Listen, I don't know if I'm the right guy for the job, if I'm good enough for this job. But if you'll have me, I think I can do at least some good. Well, I have watched this man over the last couple of years make a profound impact on middle school boys because he was willing to show up and be involved. He saw a need and became personally involved until the end. It was a relentless pursuit of doing good. You know, I could tell you story after story after story after story about things like that that have happened here at Ebenezer. Things that came way before my time. People who saw a need and became personally involved until the end. Things like Go for Bo. Things like our partnership with Hampton Oaks Elementary School. Things like uh, our 72 small group leaders or the work we do with Stafford's Emergency Food Bank. The list goes on and on and on. And church, the work isn't done. But these are all people who have seen the need and become personally involved until the end. They have relentlessly pursued doing good, all because they were willing to be a neighbor in the name and to the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, you may be saying, well, Pastor Mark, uh, I'm not the type to start a program or to lead a conference or, you know, confirm- being a confirmation mentor isn't really my jam. So what can I do? Well, here's the good news, church. 
we don't have to come up with some wild formula of what it means to be a neighbor. Did you know that we can be a neighbor the way the Good Samaritan was? By serving our neighbors? The people in our neighborhood? We can do all the good we can do to the people who live next door to us. What would it look like if we went home today and we started praying with our families and we said, you know, family, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start looking for the needs of our neighbors and we're going to pray over that. And then when we've discovered what those needs are, we're going to become personally involved and we're not just going to do it for a day. We're going to see it through until the end. We are going to relentlessly pursue doing good in the name and to the glory of Jesus Christ. What could we accomplish, church? I'll share with you what I think the greatest need that people in our area face. Even though we are more connected than we have ever been, we experience more isolation than we ever have. It's what makes being a good Samaritan so difficult because most of the people who need our help, they're not lying on the side of the road in a ditch dying. They're locked inside their houses next door to us, afraid to let people all the way into their lives. Or they are us. Some people don't even want a good Samaritan. They'd rather stay right where they are and refuse the help. Well, I want to share with you that my wife, Melissa, and I, we are not immune to this fact. Did you know that being a pastor can sometimes be isolating? We can feel alone. Pastor Rob and I have talked about this at times. It can feel like we're in this crowded mall and everybody sees us, everybody recognizes us, but they all have their personal deep relationships and we just walk on by. Now, I am not sharing this with you as a cry for help. Hear me say that, church. But I do want to relate to that feeling that we all feel at times and I want to share with you that pastors are not immune to this fact. You see, it's not easy to let people all the way in. It's risky. We can get burned. And if I'm being honest, I can keep people at a distance to keep myself safe, but that is not Jesus' definition of a neighbor. No, Jesus says that a neighbor sees the need and becomes personally involved and all the way until the end. It's a relentless pursuit of doing good. Well, Melissa met a friend in her neighborhood, and that friend and her, they hit it off. Now, the friend didn't attend Ebenezer at the time, but uh, she wanted to get to know us more. And one day, she sent a text to Melissa and invited us to come over to the house. She wanted the kids to play, for the husbands to meet. Now, I don't know about you if you've ever had a toddler in your life, but to meet somebody new and then to go into their house is a bit scary. And here's why, because... It's a high probability that our toddler will find something extremely sentimental and destroy it, right? <laughs> Church, it's a risky endeavor, I'm just saying. And the other piece to that is Melissa and I, we were lonely. But we had convinced ourselves that we didn't need anybody outside our house's help. And so Melissa got on, on a text and she said, I'm sorry, we can't make We came up with some excuse that day. I don't remember what it was. And the friend texted back. She said, oh, that's okay. What are you doing tomorrow? <laughs> Melissa said, hey, darling, uh, she wants to know what we're doing tomorrow. I said, I don't know. Tell her something, right? 
So she come, came up with another excuse. You know what she did? She said, hey, I know that your, pa- your husband is a pastor. He works on Sundays. What are you doing Sunday? What time can you be here? Right? I know you'll be in town. She relentlessly pursued a relationship with our family and church. I got to tell you, she taught your neighbor, your pastor what a neighbor really is. It turns out that she did that with a few other couples as well. And now all of a sudden we have this rich community of neighbors that we have let all the way into our lives. And it is making leaving this place that much harder. I'm telling you this story because our friend did all the good that she could do in the way that she knew how to do it right where she was because she had mercy on us. She saw a need and she became personally involved until the end. And it was a relentless pursuit of doing good. You know, as I look at the future of Ebenezer Church, I am excited. I'm excited for Pastor Monica because I know that she has won the lottery by coming to this church. Now, I know we don't gamble, but... She's pretty lucky. But the more I get to know her, and the more I see her heart for people and for Jesus, i got to tell you, church, I think you won the lottery too. And so I hope and I pray that you will welcome Pastor Monica and her family in, that you will love them the way that you have welcomed us and loved my family I hope that you will do that. Because here's what I know about her. As I have seen her heart for people and her desire to see Christ transform lives, not just in this church building, but out into homes and in neighborhoods. I got to tell you, it's inspiring. You know, she loves Jesus so much. Pastor Monica is friends with people at Mount Ararat. So here's the thing. I knew I was going to cry when I got to this part, so I had to put a joke in, all right? Now, she is friends with people at Mount Ararat, but don't hold that against her. Church, I see this vision. I see this vision of thousands of people from our church who have been commissioned and called to go into their neighborhoods and to the homes of their neighbors that instead of walking by their neighbors, that instead... They would do all the good that they could do in the way that they knew how to do it. That we would become what Christ defines as as a neighbor. That we would invite people in. And that we wouldn't take no for an answer. That we would change the lives of those around us by sharing the richness of a Christ-like community. And it's going to change us too. Now it's risky. But here's what I know. And I don't say this lightly. If we do it, it will transform their lives and ours in the name and to the glory of Jesus Christ. All we need to do is see a need and become personally involved until the end. It'll be a relentless pursuit of doing good. So I want to challenge you. I challenge you to relentlessly pursue being a good neighbor in the name of Jesus Christ. And what became his final public address, Fred Rogers began his speech by saying, Robert Frost once said that his poems started with a lump in the throat. 
And then Fred goes on to say, well, I believe that's where philanthropy, doing good, starts. The most important philanthropy arises from the deepest level of our being. That's why every one of us, no matter how much money we have, needs to know that there's something about us that's worth giving. And this is the part that got me. Fred Rogers said, I think that the saddest person anywhere is the person who thinks that he or she doesn't have anything of value to give. Doing all the good we can do is simple. We don't have to travel far. We don't have to start a TV show. We can do all the good we can do right where we are and the way that we know how to do it. All we have to do is see a need and become personally involved until the end. We need to relentlessly pursue doing good. And it starts with a simple question. Won't you be my neighbor? Let's pray. Oh, holy God, we thank you for all that you've given us. God, I thank you for this church and the people in it, the people who seek your will in their lives and the desire to do good in your good and holy name. I pray, God, that as we seek your will, as we continue to follow you, Lord, that we would simply try to be a good neighbor. And so, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for the love you've given us and the grace you've shown us. Lord, for all that you've given and gifted us with, we pray that we give it all back to you and serve you in your good and holy name. And so we praise you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.